dump the mentality of really focusing on how to follow up with the people towards the end of the buying journey and instead focus on following through. So while you're on the phone with them, before you have hung up, before you have sent them over a proposal, you get a follow-up phone call on the books and you pre-schedule this booking meeting for a few days after they're gonna get the proposal so that you can have a chance to talk with them about the proposal. This is like, if you if this is all you took away from this conversation, you will increase your conversion rates hugely. Welcome to the Wedding Video Boss Podcast, where we talk about the business of being a wedding creative. If it's your first time here, this is a podcast for people like you, the people who want to figure out how to turn their passion into profit, their hobby into a business. So every week, I invite over business gurus, wedding specialists, and successful business owners to share their knowledge about particular keys to create and maintain a thriving wedding business. The best part is, you get a front row seat and it's absolutely free. I'm your sexy host, Paul Santiago, and I am so honored that you have joined me today. You know, guys, I love learning, especially about how to run my business. I feel like the key to us being in business for this long is because of the network we've created, our kick-ass crew, and the amount of knowledge I've gained from experts from different fields, like fields that I've never really considered learning. There's always something to learn from someone, and that's the value I want to bring to you and to your business. Today's guest is Sam Jacobson, and he is an expert on sales without being too salesy. And on this episode, Have you ever struggled with selling to a client at the right time? Well, that's exactly what we're going to help you with on this week's show. You'll learn the buyer's journey and how to use it to your advantage. Have a pen and paper ready, guys, because this is going to be a badass interview, so don't go anywhere. If you're driving, just try to memorize it. Or you you can just listen to it later. Sam and I will be back in a millie. Sam is an old school influencer, not the kind with 100k followers on social media. No, he has a real pull with couples who've booked millions in wedding services for him. These days, he shares sales experiences and growth strategies with event pros who are self-taught or want to level up. You'll find him on speaking at The Knot Worldwide, Hustle and Flow, Engage, Luxury Wedding Summit, WIPA, NACE, evolve and other private workshops he doesn't just tell you to charge more he actually shows you how to persuade people to pay higher rates the approaches and tactics he shares apply to all stages of success from just starting out to the luxury market clients who apply his method get fees from a thousand bucks to thirty thousand dollars for services they provide i can't wait for you guys to hear what he has to say so please help me in welcoming Sam Jacobson. You know, I'm so happy that you're here because I we we've been like I'm I've been trying to chase you because a lot a handful of my audience really really wants you to be a guest on the show. Especially Chris Holt of Chris Holt Photography. <laughs> <laughs> he loves you and he's Chris, like, "Man, you we made it happen." Yeah, so he's like, "You need you, you make sure you have Sam Sam in your show." And so, uh, thank you, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. 
Yeah, you're very welcome. I'm glad to be here. I'm, I'm happy that you reached out and uh, glad to get a chance to share information and insight with people who are uh, listening to the podcast. Yeah, I, I know you're a very busy guy. I see your stories, you, you, your posts, and so I, I really appreciate that. Before we begin, I would love it if you tell the listeners and the viewers something about yourself that they probably would be surprised about. Yeah, that's, you know, it's a great question. Uh, and I like it. It's a, it's a great little icebreaker. Uh, one of the things I think that probably surprises people the most is that I don't have a background in uh, business through my college education. All of the experience that I have and knowledge I've gained through on the job and, and continuous education. But my actual formal training is in uh, medieval history. Uh, and also in writing. And so way back when, 20 plus years ago when I was in college, I thought that I wanted to be a management consultant. And so I initially went to college for that. And then I thought, that's not going to be fun. So I took a year off from college. Uh, I rode my bike through Europe for about four months. And when I came back to school for my sophomore year, I decided to switch my major to English and then I added on history as a second major. And that's what I ended up graduating college with. A lot of reading and writing when it comes to uh, you know, European history and all of the things that go along with that. So it was, um, you know, it was, it was an interesting time in my life and something that I'm really glad that I have and uh, actually provides a lot of uh, helpful background, surprisingly, for what it is that I do now. Well, European history that and medieval, right? Yeah. It, what I'm now I'm really curious. Like, what what attracted to you to that that aspect? You know, I so I was one of those kids that uh, made it through high school without really reading much. Um, you know, I just kind of went off of my my natural aptitude for figuring things out. I mean, I did well. Uh, you know, I, but I just I just didn't really love reading and. When I went to college, I didn't really find much inspiration then either. But when I went on this bike tour, which was really a transformative experience in my life, I was 20 years old. I was on a bike with a friend and we camped our way through Europe and there, there really wasn't a lot to do. We could ride bikes and hang out and talk with each other and read and journal. And so I, I picked up uh, books wherever I could find them, English language books, and I, I read a ton a ton. And I read probably everything I should have read when I was in high school. And I read a lot about the, the areas that we were going through so I could learn about them and what it is that, that we were, you know, the buildings that we were going through and the museums that we were uh, touring. And, and I just fell in love with it. And when I got back, I decided that that was something that I wanted to spend more time doing, uh, things that I loved. And, and it was, it was always interesting to me. And I thought, you know, I can, I can, I can find ways to take the, the approach, the learning approach, whatever it was, your, you know, European history or, or whatever, and apply that to my day to day. And, and it's, and it was something that I loved then. I, I love now I, I read only nonfiction every once in a while I'll read fiction. Um, but I, you know, I read biographies for fun. Uh, I read books about history. I just started a new book about the discovery of a manuscript and, uh, 15th century Germany and the impact that it had on the medieval Renaissance. Ooh, man, 
why not? Right. I mean, it's, it's, you know, different, you know, different, different interests for different people. And this is just the kind of stuff that really interested me and, and has kept it ever since. That's funny because when, when I was growing up, I, I'm one of those kids like you that went through high school and college without reading books. <laughs> and I never thought I would enjoy reading until I started reading business books. That's those are the only like if you go to our house, like here in the office, I have like a stack of bookshelf here that's just filled with business books because that's the only thing I read. And yeah, I guess it's whatever sparks your imagination and whatever sparks your interest is you just need to look for it, right? Yeah, it's there. And when it happens, it happens. And, and for me, it happened while, you know, while doing that. And, and it's, it's never left. It's great. Yeah, that's amazing. So um, now I want to ask you about your origin story, like um, how, how you started, how you got into this industry and what you're up to right now. Yeah. So, uh, you know, like I mentioned a few minutes ago, I, I had initially gone into college because I wanted to get into consulting work. I've been a born problem solver ever since I can remember. I love doing jigsaw puzzles and crossword puzzles. When I was younger, I remember my mom would bring me to a bookstore and I could pick out anything I wanted and I go straight to the math workbooks. You know, I just, I love problems. And when I was in high school, I started doing some work on uh, some charter schools and some uh, statewide programs that were directed at at problem solving for for corporations, and so I, I went into college with high hopes of doing that. And, and like I said, I was a little bit disenchanted by it. Took a break, and I started doing some writing. And I wrote for magazines for a little while. When I graduated high school, or uh, my my folks had moved up to the San Juan Islands in Washington State. They had gone there on their honeymoon in the in the 80s and decided that that's where they wanted to retire. So when I graduated high school and uh, within a year, they had moved up to the San Juan Islands uh, from where we were in Portland. And I would visit them while I was in college. And they ended up living near a resort that was very famous as a boater destination in the Seattle area. And I got a job there after college waiting tables, which is what I had done throughout college. And I, I fell in love with the place. And after bouncing around traveling for a little while, I ended up back at the resort after my first summer and I got a job as a manager working in the bar and I loved it. And I, I love being around the people. I love the, the challenge of doing new things. And I loved, I loved supervising. I love being a leader. And so I worked in the restaurants, um, first as a server, then as a bar manager, Eventually, I was promoted to a restaurant manager, and I started ordering beverage and uh, helping to design menus. And then one day, I got pulled out of the restaurant and was put into the event manager role when the then event manager had left to go and take care of a, a sick relative. And so I was thrust into the event world very quickly. I had no training other than my, my catering and my hospitality background. And, and I, I did it for a summer and I absolutely loved it. It was, uh, it was, you know, it kind of, it brought together all the things that I really enjoyed with operations and, and leadership and sales. And it was, uh, at the time, the resort was really open to seeing how things could develop and what could we do. We, uh, we were selling weddings and we were, you know, we were, we were servicing them, but we weren't really sure if it was something that we wanted to do uh, with, with any real intentionality. And so 
I decided that I was going to to lead the team and and try and grow the venue into a, a nationally or at least regionally recognized property, and that was kind of my goal. So I set out in 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 the Great Recession, <laughs> terrible timing, but but set out in two thousand seven two thousand eight to really make our mark in the area. And after five years, six years, we had uh, uh, we had won the distinctions that we wanted to from the local magazines and vendors as the best destination in the Northwest. It's actually won every year since, since 2012. And uh, I, uh, I helped grow the sales at such a, uh, such a huge amount that it was something that, that really, uh, you know, demonstrated to me how successful the, the, the distinctions that we won were related to the financial um, you know, uh, the financial rewards that, that we got as a, as a benefit of that. And, and that was exciting to me. So we quadrupled sales in the, the time that I was doing the sales there. And I thought, you know, I, I'm going to try this out in, in a bigger market, in a luxury market for a different type of company to see if I can replicate what it is that I had done at this venue over at uh, a different company. And so I, I moved across the country and I worked for Todd Events which is a, a planning decor design firm out of uh, Texas. We had offices in Dallas and Houston. Todd had been in business for over 20 years and he was at a real pivotal point in his career where he wanted to uh, move the company in a direction that would be a good match for where he was at in his own interest and, and professional uh, development. And so I uh, worked with him for a couple of years uh, we, you know, we, we moved the, the ship in a different direction and, and it, that was a real fun opportunity for me to try things out. And I realized while I was there that, uh, that this marriage of, of sales and operations background was something that a lot of people didn't have. And that there were a lot of people who started off in the wedding community. Uh, they, you know, they got, they got into, uh, their, their career and started their company because they wanted to do something creative or they enjoyed a technical challenge and uh, they didn't really have a lot of business background and they didn't have a lot of sales experience. And I thought, you know, with all these entrepreneurs starting things up, they're going to need some help at some point, their natural ability, luck, connections, um, you know, their, their natural charisma will, will run out. And, and instead of growing like this, they'll start to plateau. And, and, and that usually occurs, you know, two, three, four years in. And, and at that point, I know they're going to need some help. And that's where that, that, um, that kind of consulting, problem solving, coaching, leadership uh, desire that I have really came into play. So in 2016, I, I started doing the consulting work and I've, I've narrowed down to working only really with wedding pros, various fields, different parts of the country, different levels of success. And and, and I spent all my time doing that one-on-one uh, -on -one work and, and speaking across the country on, on sales and pricing. I love that you, you're doing this specifically for wedding pros because, you know, we're, we're all mostly of a, most of us are small businesses. And the thing is, just like what you said, we're here for the creativity or the technical challenges but we never really had like a, most of us at least never really had a background on business, but we just jump right in. And, you know, this day and age of like Gary Vaynerchuk and all of these guys who are like preaching, you know, just all you have to do is just do it just now, do it now. And it's kind of like a little scary 
it might be good for some people, but it's it's scary to me because I don't like risking. I want I like risking high risk high reward, but you know, just risking all of it, just jumping right in without having um, having that guidance is really scary. So when you when you said that you pretty much got into the groove of things during the recession, it's funny because most of the people that the successful people I was talking to, most of them start out during the recession. Like mm-hmm. they actually discover, oh, you know, it's now it's now or never. Like there's nothing to lose. So I love I love that that you know you, my audience pretty much can relate to that. Yeah, it it is. I think it. Look, if you can, if if you if you look at what's happened right now, this has been the strongest continuous growing economy in the history of the U.S. From what I understand, it's a, I think it's 108 consecutive quarters of growth, and and going through and looking at that, I think that it's it's not hard to see success when the currents are sweeping you towards that goal, that destination, that outcome, right? You just, you just kind of float along and, and things, will, things will go well for you. I think that going through hard times, uh, you know, makes us better at what we do. It refines our skill set because we have so much more necessity. And, and, and we have to, if we don't do this, we literally don't survive. And so, uh, you know, I, I do think that there's a lot of people who, who would consider themselves coaches or mentors, uh, or, or consultants. And, and I think, you know, one of the, one of the things I think is really important for people who are in a position to hire somebody, or maybe to have somebody solve a problem is to make sure that somebody's an expert in, in the area that you are looking for. One of the reasons why you know, I, I'm not I'm not typical in the sense that, like you said, I focus only on people who are in weddings and events. A lot of people who are coaches and consultants and mentors will focus on people who are in the creative industries, and that could be any number of things. I, that's not me. You know, I know weddings, right? I mean, I've sold maybe you know ten million dollars or so in wedding services directly. I've, I've booked 500 plus events uh, myself. I fielded thousands of inquiries. I have climbed that mountain over and over and over and over again. And I know not just one path, but I know many paths that are there. I've done it for more than one company. Uh, I've, I've done it in more than one field, I've more, more than one market. And, and I think that what, what makes you know, that important is that uh, this is not something that just worked for me. This isn't something that worked when the economy was good. This isn't something that worked in any creative field. Uh, this isn't something that that I've been doing for two or three years and I found success with my own business. This is something that's worked for over you know a, a decade, over a dozen years in different cities and different markets, different fields, uh, different types of operations and, and different, frankly, different types of business owners, right? Because not everybody's the same. And, and just because it worked for you doesn't mean that it's going to work for somebody else. So there's, there's skill in uh, not only going through the work and doing it yourself, but also in being able to teach and train and help other people in a way that's going to be impactful for them. That's a whole nother skill that's, that's required that I think a lot of people miss out on and doesn't translate when they, when they end up hiring somebody. You know, I think the advantage too is that you know uh, this industry is so young. Surprisingly, it's a very young industry that 
10 years ago, when the recession hit, there were no guides, there were no mentors that you could actually pay and ask. So fast forward 10 years later, those people who experienced 2008 now can be mentors and be coaches because they actually went through the the whole process of, you know, just going through the hoops and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the advantage of the people who are starting out right now is they have this access to a lot of people who just like what you said, you know, or you could mentor someone in the creative side or business side. So I feel like that's that's actually one of the advantages. And I'm I'm so happy that I meet people like you who are doing this specifically and I love I love that. I love that. Well good. I'm 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 uh I'm glad that I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to do what I do knowing that it's of a, a, a huge help. You know, I've always been I've always been a helper. I've always loved helping people and you know in in all different stages of my professional development it's it's really been rooted at taking an understanding of the world and taking a ton of information that's coming at us and 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 then really digesting it and then articulating it in a way to be able to help people get not just the core information but also a successful path forward on how to understand and then apply. And that's where, you know, kind of coming full circle into this idea of this this background in history is that that's really what a historian does, right? A historian takes a bunch of primary documents or firsthand accounts, does a ton of research, does it from all different fields, all different perspectives and aspects, listens to different experts, does his or her own hands-on research, and then synthesizes that into a way to explain it to people who want to learn about it, um, but don't have the time to devote or the the interest or or even the expertise or skill to understand it. And so that's that's really what I found myself doing 20 years later is taking these two shelves, right, of books that you see back here that like you are filled with business books, uh, buyer psychology, decision-making theory, behavioral economics, um, you know, influence and compliance and persuasion, marketing, websites, you know, I'll, I've, I've read two books just on how to ask questions in a survey and, and taking that kind of information and then applying that to the practical world of actually doing sales work has, I think, been something that that's created a, uh, a unique perspective for people who, who listen to me on podcasts or uh, work with me one on one or hear me talk at conferences or workshops. Man, I'm so excited. I swear. Uh, <laughs> well, good. Well, let's 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 dive in. Yeah. Actually, I want to ask you first because yeah. I I feel like this is an important question for people who are in the creative industry. Um, just like for me, I have this more than anything. I have imposter syndrome still, but just like because I I remember you said you like reading books and ever ever since you were young, you were a problem solver. I never. I never saw myself as a problem solver. I've always been the creative kid. Not, I'm, not, not that I'm saying you're not creative, but I've always been this kid who's just daydreaming all the time and always imagining. But now that when I got into the business and I've been reading business books, I'm like, I, I feel like I want to be a leader, but I'm not a problem solver. Like, not naturally, at least. So it, it takes me 
more steps to get to problem solving than probably you because you're naturally a problem solver. So how what what advice could you tell creatives before they start molding themselves into becoming like a leader? Yeah, it's a great question in that uh, people are looking for ways to uh, you know, almost DIY, you know, do it, do it themselves to, uh, fix things. And I, I think that's absolutely helpful. Uh, you know, I think for, for creative types, anybody who's creative, I think is a, is a problem solver already. And everybody who's a problem solver is incredibly creative in the sense that, you know, I always tell people that what I do when, when I go through and work on people's uh, businesses or provide advice or recommendations is that I'm having conversations and I'm pulling little bits of information out of the conversation or the market research or customer research that I'm doing. And then I take that information and I arrange it in a new way to be able to create a path forward for the business to succeed. And, and, it, and it's at its essence that really is creative. And, and it's taking something that exists already and, and doing something new with it, pulling out the raw materials and then, you know, painting a picture of, of clarity to success. And so I think that, that most creative business owners have an opportunity to just translate that over by learning more about the different raw materials that you need to use to create the solution to whatever it is that you're working with. So I, I think just have the confidence in knowing that you that you do have it in you and just like any skill set that you've got to learn you know most people unless you're a beethoven or uh, a picasso or uh, you know somebody who was born being incredibly gifted uh, which is like 99.999 percent of us are not that person we got to work hard at what we do we got to practice and 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 after after hours, hundreds, thousands of hours, after fielding, uh, you know, all of the work that you need to practice, then you're finally ready to actually do some good work. And, and I think that that's something that we all have to remember is that you can't just try it once or twice and expect to see great success whenever you do anything new. And so it's important for, I think, people to, to, to know that they can problem solve to know that the information, the tools are out there, to know that they're not going to get it right the first time or the second or the 10th or the 100th, that it's going to take some time. Know that it's easier when you have a guide or an expert who is modeling what that looks like. And, and I think eventually you'll start to recognize patterns, which is really what I think all great um, masters do is they recognize patterns very quickly. And so when you like, how do you know when you're ready to consider yourself somebody who's good at doing what they do is when you don't have to think about it, it just happens. And, and I think that that's something that, um, you know, that, that you can work towards if you want to, but also there's, there's not necessarily a reason to do it. You know, just like I wouldn't go through and do my own video work. I would hire somebody to do it um, because I don't need to spend 10,000 hours trying to get good at it. I can just hire you to come in and do it. It's the same with somebody who's in there doing a very specific area of your business. Just look for them for expertise and guidance, unless you really want to learn it and apply it for, for all time. That's such a great answer. So you're, you're pretty much saying it's like a journey, like you're going to meet your, 
you're gonna meet your ma the master will uh, what what movie was that when the student is ready the master will appear yeah yes was exactly it batman or something so it's it's it is it's something i think it might be batman begins yeah. but yeah it's it's something like that so it's a journey and speaking of journeys <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> yes. let's talk about the the meat of our interview which is yeah. the buyer's journey yeah i'm really interested in this because when i was starting out all i thought was you know just just show your brand to the people and then they're they're going to be attracted to your brand and then that's it Yeah. And that's what I think that's what a lot of people, um, you know, hope because <laughs> it would be a lot easier uh, if, if that were the case. I was talking with a friend of mine who not in the wedding industry. She's in the fashion industry, worked for a large department store company for many years uh, in purchasing. And she was telling me that when she left to uh, pursue consulting work, she didn't recognize how hard it was just to try and draw people into uh, her client base. And I think that, that we think that we have this technical skill or this creative uh, eye and that it, if, if we just show the world that people will want to buy our services. And, and that, unfortunately, that's just not the case. And, and, and it takes more than just you know, a, a $16 a month subscription to Squarespace and a few hours building a website And, and, and getting an Instagram feed to build a successful business in the event community. And one of the things that, uh, that I think really creates um, an opportunity for us is when we know about what it is that the buyer goes through when they're trying to decide who they need for what they want in their lives. And, and this applies to anything. Anything that people are buying, not not you know videography, not music or entertainment, uh, in in DJ services, not planning or photography, uh, not even anything in the wedding world. This is just this is just how humans make decisions, right? So when we when we're buying things, there's a guy named Eugene Schwartz who came up with these five stages of awareness fifty uh, years ago, back in the '60s, and so these five stages of awareness are. Uh, uh, really important because they demonstrate how somebody makes a decision or becomes aware of and then makes a decision and takes action. And these, these stages of awareness are uh, uh, unaware. This is totally unaware. Don't even know that they have a problem or that there are solutions out there. They're, they're, they're in the dark. And that's the first stage of awareness. Second stage is uh, problem aware. They're aware that they have a problem, that they have a need, a pain point, And uh, that's the second stage. Third stage is solution aware. They're aware that you offer a solution to their problem, but they don't know anything more than that. The fourth stage is product aware and that they know that not only do you offer a solution, but you have very specific products that will address the needs that they have. And then the fifth stage is uh, totally aware or most aware. And this is basically ready to buy. Like they're, they're ready to move forward. They're ready to take action. So these stages of awareness are important because we, we recognize and have recognized for at least five decades that we have to provide the right information at the right time and in the right way to our buyers before they're willing to move through these different stages of awareness. People aren't going to go from totally unaware to ready to buy like that. It doesn't happen. They, it may go quickly, um, 
but they're going to go through these different stages. And so our job is to really help guide them through those stages by directing messages that will move them from unaware to problem aware, problem aware to solution aware, solution aware to product aware and product aware to ready to buy. And so what we're doing in marketing and then specifically in sales is helping move people through those different stages. And it's not, it's not easy. It's simple when you know how to do it. It's simple, but not easy. And I think that what a lot of people lack is just a general knowledge that, uh, or appreciation that you can't just put your product out there and have people see it for the first time and then go, you know what? Like, I cannot wait to write you a check for $6,000 for your video work. Where do I sign? Yeah. That's like, that's just not how it goes. And it's weird because, well, so for example, for us, you know, people, whenever they inquire, sometimes we, we get uh, vendor referrals or they see our Instagram or something and they inquire and then they say, this is the style I want. And they show other people's videos, which usually for, for photographers and videographers are like, but haven't you seen our work? You know, so what the funny thing is, whenever the wedding's done and then we show them our style with their video, they they love it and they completely forget about um, the the other style that they originally wanted. So I feel like the the awareness. You're right. There there has to be. Uh, they have to. You have to provide the right info at the right time when you're going through the steps. You, you do. And, and one of the things that I like, see so what you're talking about right there is this idea that most people don't know what they want. You know, they, they don't know what they want, especially for things that they've never done or, or, or they've never bought. And they, they, they know what they don't want, right? They know what they don't want and they know what they've seen elsewhere or that, that they've experienced in the past that they want to do again. So, you know, as an example, uh, I, I do this with my wife all the time. Uh, you know, she, she and I will talk about what to do for dinner. And, uh, you know, she, she just uh, yesterday, she was sitting down here in the office and she was menu planning for the week. And she's like, hey, babe, what do you want for dinner tomorrow night? And uh, I'm like, I don't know. What do you want? She's like, I don't know. And uh, right. I mean, like, we, we all do this, so, right? Like, this, yeah. is a, this is a pretty normal <laughs> thing. So. So she's like, no, no, seriously, what do you want? I go, okay, how about this? I go, let's do, let's do Mexican. And she's like, no, no, we just, we did Mexican yesterday. I'm like, okay, great. So we're not doing Mexican. How about um, Indian food? She's like, babe, you know, that really gives you heartburn. And like you wake up at three in the morning. So then I wake up and I worry. So we're not doing Indian. Okay. So we're not doing Mexican. We're not doing Indian. Uh, what about Vietnamese food? Now, you know what? Like, it's just too hard. We can't get the good ingredients here on the island because we're, too, you know, and so it goes right until I'm finally like, great. So it sounds like we're doing Italian because <laughs> Italian is all that's left. So, so that's, that's, that's kind of an example, I think, of what goes through people's mind is that I don't know what I want. And, and our job when we, as wedding pros, is to help people articulate what they want. And, and this is really one of the things that is the first part of the buyer's journey. So there's three main stages in the buyer's journey. That, and, and this is, you know, different words, different number. It's usually three or four uh, stages that people talk about for a journey, a customer journey, a buyer's journey, um, you know, a client's journey, whatever you want to call it. But, but this is very narrowly focused for me, at least, on these three stages of awareness, 
consideration, and decision. And in the awareness stage, the most important thing is to identify the needs that the client has. And so the, the buyer is going through the awareness stage and they're probably just trying to get a lay of the land. They're, they're, they're recently engaged or maybe they've engaged for a month or two. They haven't really done a lot of vendor selection yet. They're just trying to learn the language that people are using, the jargon that people are using. You know, I mean, who, who really knows the difference between full service, partial and month of planning? right? Like that's, that's something that you've got to learn about. Or if you're getting married and you want to look at a, at a venue and you like some catering sales manager says something like, oh yeah, like the venue fee is X amount of dollars. <clears throat> and then we've got a $15,000 minimum uh, on the, the food and beverage, but that's not, but that's not plus plus. And, uh, you know, we, if you, you have a guarantee on rooms that you're going to take for the venue and you can have an attrition rate of 20%. Well, that's like, that's all a foreign language, right? So they're like, these wedding couples are getting married. They're super excited about what's going on. They're telling all their friends and family they're, they're, you know, they've got their Pinterest board. I think something like one in four couples will actually start planning or at least one of their people will, in the in the in the relationship will start planning before they even get engaged so they're like they're ready to go and then boom they run into this wall this wall of ignorance they don't know anything and they all of a sudden they recognize they don't even know what questions to ask they didn't realize how complex it was going to be and and how overwhelming all of the choices are and so that's typically when we run into people uh, as wedding professionals is when our, our potential clients are in this stage. I think uh, for us, we we never assume that the client already knows what they want. But so what, what we do, instead of trying to educate them, we educate the vendors that refer them to us. Just so they have, because the vendors, the, the, especially the planners, they already have an idea of what we charge and what our style is. So when the couple you know, asks for a videographer, the, the planner already knows what to say. And that way, you know, there's, because I feel like these couples, they talk to at least 20 videographers, multiply that with a photographer, with a DJ. So they have so much information, right? So how do you feel about that? Like just educating the vendors that we work with and have them like the, just the, the planner talking to them okay, here's the videographers, but this is the styles and you choose instead of like having 100, 500 emails just in one go, you know, how do you feel about that? Is that like a good awareness strategy? <laughs> it is. I think it is in, in the sense that, so if you are, if you're, if you're fortunate enough to be in a level of success where you're working in large part with, uh, with, with venues and planners, right? People who are typically at the top of the food chain, and, and, and you're getting a lot of referrals from them for uh, people who are working with them already and they ask for recommendations. It's a great way to grow your sales team because essentially the venue and the planner become salespeople for you. And like any salesperson on any sales team that's working for you, you wanna make sure that they have a script, that they know the value of your product or service and that they can share that with people in an effective way. 
So I, I think you're, you're spot on with trying to cut through the noise by having other people uh, provide those recommendations and, and, and really get started what your messaging uh, can be. The, I think the other thing really to highlight in the awareness stage that's important for people who may not be working with, uh, with planners, um, you know, you can get on the venue list. That's a big help. But the, the real thing is to cut through the noise. And, and I think a lot of times people who are in the wedding industry are just yelling louder than their neighbors to try and grab the attention of wedding couples. And what ends up is this cacophony of, you know, yelling from all areas. And it just re results in a complete turnoff of even wanting to do anything with the, with the wedding planning. And it's already hard enough to move people off of the status quo and make progress on making decisions. And then when it becomes so overwhelming and so fraught with risk and choosing incorrectly that people decide not to move. And so one of the things that I recommend is to try and form an immediate connection and, and, and have a great sales experience as a way to stand out as early as possible in the awareness stage. And this is where, um, you know, I, I think that, that people would say who, who have learned from my method of, of doing sales work is that, that getting people on the phone, while it sounds old fashioned and a lot of people will tell me, oh, nobody has time for any phone calls, this is the single best way that you can stand out in a crowded marketplace is to have a great sales experience that begins with a connection over the phone so that you can stand out from the emails and the proposals and the pricing PDFs and really make a mark in the buyer's mind. You, you, I'm going to tell you a secret. <laughs> yeah, I'm, li I'm listening. <laughs> no. So me, me and my wife, so, so she's, she's uh, so this is our office. This is our meeting area. And then the other side is where she meets the couples and the, the other side is because there's three divisions. The other side's production. So she meets the couples. Some Most of the time when they walk in, they're sold because we have an office. But there are times when, you know, just like what you said, there's so much information. These couples, they never reply. They ghost us or, you know. So what she does is she calls them. And she asks, hey, do you have any questions? Did you receive the PDF of the pricing? Or if you have any questions, maybe you want to, do you want to already schedule an appointment? You know, she always ends the, the phone call with a question. And it's so effective because none, of, none of the other people do that. Yeah, you know, that's one of the, that is, it's a real easy technique that you can employ uh, on, on, on every single person that you want a response with. And you can encourage people to not respond to you by not doing this, which is to end it with a question. It's a call to action, right? It's, it's really what it is. It's, it's a call to action. So, um, you know, a lot of people will, will end an email with, let me know if you have any questions. And an easy way to change that is, do you have any questions? Uh, on on the, the initial inquiry, so what happens when people inquire, right? We, we all get blanketed with these emails. They're like, hey, my name's Sam. I'm getting married on May 24th of 2020. Are you available and what are your rates? Like, that's a pretty standard inquiry that, that gets BCC'd, you know, half a bottle of wine into the night, uh, uh, you know, by most, by most wedding couples, right? Like that's how it yeah. goes. And, and so, 
you know, my response is, is, is basically this. Yes, I'm available. Uh, yes, I can get you pricing. Unfortunately, I don't know what you need. I'd love to find out what's important to you. Can we hop on a quick 10 to 15 minute phone call? I'm free right now. Uh, and I'd put my phone number. Uh, I'm, or later tonight after you get off of work or sometime in the middle of the day tomorrow, what time works best for you? Question mark. That's it. That's the email response. No long drawn out email selling my services. No, no templated canned response that seem impersonal. I'm not attaching any information that that's specific uh, because if I'm, if I'm giving everybody the same information when they inquire, I might as well just put it on my website. Right. I might yeah. as well just put it all on my website. If I'm saying the same thing over and over again, I'm just wasting my time and I'm wasting their time because they now have to inquire to get that information rather than just finding it on my website. There should be nothing so important that you can't just put it on your website unless it's related to connecting with the person, finding out who they are, how many people are involved in making a decision, what's going to impact their decision making, uncovering all of their needs and then setting up the opportunity to create a desire for them to want your services. And that, that can't be done with a blanket email that goes out in the initial inquiry response. So I think getting that, that part down will really help reduce the amount of people who uh, don't follow up with you and, uh, and, and increase the, the setup that you have for a real connection with somebody about your wedding services and how you can help them. I, I feel like also this day and age in social media, people have a really short attention span. So if you have like a long email, a long ass email about your services and blah, 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 they're never going to read it. So yeah, yeah, I, I, I think they're not going to read it at that point, right? Yeah. Like here, like I always like, I go through it. I'm like, okay, I don't know. You and your wife go on a vacation. When was the last, I'll just ask you, when was the last vacation you went on with your wife? Three days ago, we went to Florida. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. And how long were you in Florida? We were there for a week. Okay. Did you stay with family or friends or did you stay in a hotel? We stayed in a hotel. Okay. So what was the first thing that you did when you were thinking about your vacation before you even decided on Florida? Uh, look for a hotel. Okay. Did you look for a hotel or did you try and find your dates? Oh, we tried. Yeah. We did our dates first. Yeah. Okay, right. and then I'm guessing you probably went and you looked at the airplane tickets, airplane right? Airplane tickets, yep. Okay, did you buy the airplane tickets before you decided on the hotel, or did you do it all at once? We did the plane tickets first, and then we looked for the hotel like two months before. We we bought the tickets December, and then the hotel is like a month before the vacation. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and then when you when you bought or when you were looking at your hotel, did you just pick a hotel, or did like because you like the photos, or did you pick a hotel? I'm guessing because you were looking at like the things you wanted to do in that area. And you're like, let's find a hotel. It's kind of central. Yeah. Right. Yep. And then, and then you're like, uh, okay, so geography was a little, uh, criteria. You wanted something that was, you know, nice enough, but maybe not over the top. Right. Yeah. So like decor and the feel services, um, price was important. Very right. Important. And all, of, and all of those things kind of came together. Um, and that's, and that I think is where, like, if we can draw, I'll do one more thing. When you were making your final decision, did you pay attention to what you were deciding? Did you read reviews? Did you read 
like you you did research you were like what kind of restaurants are around this hotel yep. how much are the uber is going to be how long will it take us to get to the air like you did some real thorough research before you finally decided to pick the hotel right yes including social media like we went on the in hotels instagram and see oh are people actually having fun because you know the pictures can only do so much so when you uh -huh. go into the instagram and you watch stories where the people tag them you'll see the actual place and what it looks like. So just like mm -hmm. a very thorough way of researching for sure. And when you went and when you went through and did you, uh, you looked at probably every single photo that was out there, right? Yeah. <laughs> about the rooms, about the pool. Yep. Including uh, the irrelevant photos. <laughs> uh huh. And the beach, right? Like, yeah. were you near a beach? Yes. Okay. So you like, like I was, I'm looking for a spring break, uh, destination. We're deciding between Loreto, Mexico and, um, uh, a little town north of San Juan del Sur in Nicaragua, and and I, I'm I'm like zooming in on like the texture of the beach. I want to know what the sand looks yep. like in front because I want to know if it's going to be comfortable to lay on it. So the the like when we were first looking for what we wanted, I wasn't really sure. I was like, I want to go on a family vacation with my kids, and we have to go like we have April 9th through the 19th. That's our window. And I go to kayak and I hit explore. I'm like, where in the world can we go that's nonstop or one stop with a short layover for a reasonable price? And then we narrowed it down to six. And then we started skimming through all the stuff. We didn't read a lot. It was all images and we got referrals and recommendations from our friends. And then we started looking at what it would be like to actually travel to each of these places and then what were the houses like. And then it like now we're down to our, I kid you not, our big decider right now is what is the water temperature in Loreto versus the water temperature in Nicaragua. And we're finding that the water temperature is 11 degrees warmer in Central America than it is in Baja, California. And I kid you not, that is probably going to be the deciding factor for us. Oh, yeah. So, so I bring this up in detail because I want people who are listening to this or watching this to recognize that while people may not like to read a lot in the beginning, when they're being flooded with options, they will, they will do a ton of research as they get down to making the decision. And, and they, will, they will dive into everything that you have. And because risk is the biggest criteria when deciding who to choose at the end of the buying decision, if you don't have enough information or you don't have enough of the right kind of information or you don't have enough reassurance through social proof like testimonials or reviews or being published or, or featured, um, if you don't have those things there ready for people, they will not book you. Yeah. And so we don't like, while I don't want to provide a lot of information in the beginning, my initial email will be literally like 60 to 80 words. And all I want to do is get them on the phone. At the end, I may provide them with boatloads of information that they can go through to feel more comfortable and confident in making the decision to choose me. So just like with, with me, when it comes to like at least choosing hotels and restaurants, if I go on Yelp or their website and I see that their photos are 10 years old, I'm like, I don't want to eat here. It's probably like a different chef now or, you know, the hotels, the sand's probably different looking. So it, I feel like that should be part of, you know, you, when when 
everything needs to be updated as well when you're trying to be be raise the awareness of the client towards your business. It, it is. It is. There there are and it's all little clues. And this is why this is why the sales experience starts the moment that they land on your website. It, you know, sales is about problem solving. It's about finding somebody's problems and offering a solution with your services or your product. That that is what sales is. And so when when we provide a great sales experience, the the potential client expects that same experience to continue as as a as a customer. And if we don't provide a great experience early on, or there are indicators that we're not going to provide that early on, then they will expect that not to be there during the actual customer experience. So here's an example. Um, speaking of websites, people want to feel reassured. And so they look at your photos, like you said, and if they're not up to date, then and and at the same time you're like you know what i'm always on trend i'm always keeping up with what the latest you know things are that we need to do with video work um or if you're a dj like i'm up on the latest playlists or if you are a photographer you know you've got the best presets or you know you've got the the newest greatest lens that's going to be able to capture the depth of field whatever it may be right if you say that you are doing that but then your website looks four years old and has five-year-old photos on it there's going to be this 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 incongruity, and and you're going to be saying one thing, but they're experiencing another, and it doesn't quite connect. Another another thing you could say is that you provide a personalized experience, or you create the wedding of their dreams, or whatever it is that you say. Like I make it about you, 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 you. But then on your website, all you do is talk about me, 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 or you you send out a generic email with generic packages to people with generic pricing and there's no personalization there's no customization there's no interest in listening to what it is that that particular person wants you're you're not connecting there um, you say you pay attention to the details but then you send sloppy emails or, or you spelled wrong or you don't spell <laughs> things correctly right or or you um one of the things, a quick fix is that a lot of wedding professionals don't have an SSL certificate on their website. And as soon as they pull up your website while they're waiting for it to load, it says not secure. I mean, who wants that, right? Who wants to go into a store and not feel secure? So the little things in the beginning part of the sales experience will will indicate to a potential client what it is that they can expect from you down the line. And one of my favorite quotes from Ralph Waldo Emerson is, your actions speak so loudly, I cannot hear what you are saying. And so this is really important as we go through and we create what is hopefully going to be an extraordinary sales experience. They're going to see what we are doing and how we are behaving with them rather than listening to what it is that we're saying. They're going to watch what we're doing. And, and so you've got to make sure that from the very beginning, at the get-go, when they're on your site, in that initial correspondence, the first time you talk with them, the first time you share information with them, that you're not going to do things that will negatively impact what they will predict to be their customer experience. That's amazing. I, I love that quote. I've never 
I don't think I've ever seen that quote before, the Ralph Waldo Emerson quote. It's a good one. He's he's got all sorts of good stuff. This is like back in like right. This is like 20 years ago uh, in a random class on transcendentalism that I took as part nice. of my part of my work. So I, I think that that's that's a really important part. So you know, for this awareness stage, when people are are trying to identify what their own needs are, the biggest thing that you could do is you can connect with them and let them know that you're going to help them with that. And so, uh, for instance, on on your website, having information uh, on a blog post that talks about the problems that they didn't know that they had. So if you're um, if you're a videographer, it could be something about, um, you know, why most people, uh, uh, you know, why most people regret not getting video and pouring all the money into photo. Or if you are um, a photographer, it could be. Um, you know, five things to look your best on the wedding day. Uh, you know, it could be, um, you know, three things not to do at an engagement session. Uh, it could be, um, as a planner, it could be um, three ways that planners earn their fee by saving you money with other vendors. Or, you know, or like whatever it may be that you think that your clients have problems with, you are going to highlight those problems and you are going to offer quick solutions for them so that you can move them through these different stages of awareness from unaware to problem aware to solution aware. And at that point, then you're just trying to form that connection and identify their needs to give them the right product. So that like in a nutshell, you guys, that's what you're trying to do on your website. Move them from unaware to problem aware to solution aware so that they then feel encouraged and reassured that you're going to give them the product that's going to meet their needs. You're helping them form what their needs are because they don't even know the questions to ask. They don't know at all. So you've got to help. Um, you got to help them. A lot of people call it educate. I'm not a fan of that. I like the term help instead because I think it puts us in the right mindset that that's what we're there to do. No, we're there that. to guide. We're there to guide them along and show them the way because they've never been. That's good to know because we we just revamped our site to educate the couples, and yeah, that's right. You should instead of saying educate, just help them out. Just really point them to the right direction. Like even the the questions to ask a videographer, that's a good idea for a blog post. Honestly, it is. Yeah. It, oh, it, oh, it is. It, it, this would be six things to ask your videographer before signing a contract. That's your blog post, right? Or That's three amazing. things I wish I would have asked my videographer before I signed the contract. Like people are going to read that, right? And they're going to see that you not only are, are providing the information and the expertise, but that you're helping them with whomever it is that they choose. And, and here's the beauty of it is that if you know your comp set and you've positioned yourself so that these questions that you are putting in your blog post are going to be asked of other photographer or other videographers that you know that they don't have very good answers to them, or you know that it might be a weak area that exposes some deficiencies that they have compared to what you offer. So this is this is where you use positioning in, in your comp set to really set yourself apart and you're making them feel empowered, the, the client, the buyer feel empowered and, and you're also setting yourself apart because when they ask you those questions and ask your comp set those questions, you're going to stand out. That's cool. So th now that we've 
identify the needs in the awareness part. I love that the awareness part has to be identifying instead because initially when you said awareness, like, oh, the client should be aware of me. But then, mm-hmm. no, it's actually identifying their needs. And I love that. So how yeah, do you... Yes, mo- it's self-awareness. Yeah. yeah, it's self-awareness. So how do you move from awareness to consideration? Isn't that a great question? You know what's better? If we have an actual conversation about it. I created a Facebook group just for the bosses. That's right. I'm calling y'all bosses because I really want to hear what you think. Let's talk about your business, share your frustrations, and celebrate your victories. I want to surround myself with driven, hardworking people so we can help each other out and not feel like I'm being judged all the time. Let's talk about business. I can't wait to see you there, so visit the show notes after the interview and click on the link. Okay, now let's get back to the show. So the consideration stage is the second, the middle part, and this is typically when they inquire. Now, they may inquire prematurely in the sense that they're not ready to truly consider the services that you offer to meet those needs because they haven't really identified those needs. So you may, when somebody inquires, they're going to inquire they're going to ask questions. Uh, typically, uh, I would say probably more often than not, they're not even ready for the information that you have to share with them. And so you've got to, you've got to first identify where they're at in the buyer's journey. If, if they are not ready for your information, then you've got to go backwards and help them identify their needs. But let's say that you've helped them identify their needs and, and they're where they need to be. And, and at this point, you can now provide information on the services that you offer and you do so in a way that is always directed at the problems, the pain points, the concerns, the needs that they have. So if I'm like, if I'm, if me, Sam, as a consultant, I, I work with all types of people. They generally go into two different categories. Category number one is the small business that's usually run by one, maybe two people. And, you know, photo, video, planner, DJ, uh, could be independent floral, you know, whatever it may be. Standalone solopreneur, they want to grow revenue. Okay. So that's that's one type of client that I have. Another type of client that I have is an op, uh, somebody who's got a big operation or a bigger operation, a firm, has maybe three to 10 employees, does two to $5 million a year in revenue, has been around for four to 10 years, and and doesn't need help growing because has been so successful with growing that hasn't had time to take inventory of what's going on and organize the company in a way that's going to be successful for other people to do the work rather than that owner being a part of it, right? This is the one that's that's done this kind of growth for a while, but needs to slow down because they're stretched too thin. So I have background in sales and in operations. Now, I can't go through and pitch my services to somebody if I don't know what they need. Right. If, if I if I pitch my operations background and my leadership management, organizational systems workflow side of me to somebody who's a solo photographer that just wants to know how to create a good website, then it's going to fall on deaf ears and they're going to go. This guy is not listening to me. This guy doesn't offer the things that I want. And then if I were to offer growth to, you know, sales and, and marketing growth to somebody who has already grown really quickly and needs help consolidating the success that they've had, they're going to be turned off by what I'm saying. 
So before we offer the services, the solutions to our clients, we need to make sure that we, that we know what it is that they need, what their pain points are. And then we're only talking to them about the things that will resonate, that will mean something to them. So that's the very first thing is to identify where they're at in the buyer's journey and then to really uncover what their, what their specific needs are as best you can. And, and along the way, we're building trust with, with the conversations that we're having by listening, by asking a lot of questions, by using empathy. And, and, and that's a huge part of what we do. And then we're also trying to understand what type of buyer we're working with. Are we working with somebody who puts the focus on relationships, somebody who puts the focus on information, somebody who puts the focus on ideas, or somebody who puts the focus on just getting things done as fast as possible and moving on with their lives. And so we, we, we're doing a lot of things in, the, in, that, in that consideration stage where, uh, where we're able to gather information and then present the right kind of information back to them. Okay, so you're saying that the, you have to identify their need, right? I love that because you're saying instead of identifying what they want, as a pro, you just identify what they need, which is different, right? Is that it what is. You're it is. Yeah. It is. Well, I mean, there, there may be a like the want is kind of like the surface level need. You know, it's like I want photos, or I, I want video, right? Um, and and so like let's just say with photos. So I want photos. Okay, so that's a need. What what kind of photos do we want? Let's peel that back a little bit. I want photos of people. Okay, that's great. Okay, so what do you like? What do you want? I want I want moments that are um, natural and unposed, right? This is pretty common. Okay, great. And so that a lot of people will stop at that. Here's the question: Why do you want that? What's What's important about that? Getting down into it, you you could you could uncover something you know that that you did not know was there. Um, it could be uh, may, let's just say that maybe the reason why they want natural and unposed is because they personally are projecting that they don't like being in front of the camera because they're awkward or shy in front of the camera. And so what they're really trying to say to you is not that they want natural and unposed, it's that they don't want to feel like they're being produced. So that's what they're saying is, I don't want you to spend 45 minutes with a camera in my face because I'm going to feel awkward and uncomfortable. I'm going to look bad in my photos. And also, I really want to spend time with my family and friends, and I don't want to spend time with you doing a photo shoot on my wedding day. And so if you can ask the right questions to be able to pull out that information from them, you're going to be able to really direct your services in, in the how you work part rather than what you're going to get. They want to know, how do you, how do you get rid of the mystery of, hey, I'm not going to spend a lot of time with you. Instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to let you be you and I'll catch the moments and not make you feel awkward and uncomfortable so that you can hang out with your friends and look like you're having a good time. And then, and then you won't have to worry about it. That's, that's the difference between I want photos that look natural and unposed and really pulling at their heart to make the decision rather than just their head. I, I love that because when, um, for us, just let me give you an example for for videography at least for our industry clients want a highlight video they want a full video 
they want the raw video and they want it for $2,000, which is so low. So that's where we step in and say, just like my my wife, she asks, okay, why do you need a full? Why do you need the raw? You're not going to watch the raw. So she she asks the right questions. And in the end, she's going to be like, okay, you need eight hours of coverage. You need three videographers, You need blah, blah, blah. So I think that is where us as a pro steps in. Like that's what makes us different from our competition or from amateurs is we have to problem solve it for them because they don't just like what you said they don't know what they're doing yeah they've never you know they, they've probably never done this before you know you you wouldn't want to ask them how much coverage you need you you in, in fact number one they don't know number two they could be just trying to limit it because they don't want to pay a lot yeah but number three what what, what will happen is that um, is that you will find out later that they need more and then you'll tell them that they need more and either they'll think you didn't hear what they had to say or now you're telling them that they're stupid and they don't know what they're talking about and immediately they're on the defensive, right? So I wouldn't even ask people, um, you know, what it is that, that they need. I would instead ask questions that you need to identify uh, what the length of coverage is going to be. You know, do you have a sense of the timeline? Oh, really? That's great. Share with me. What does the timeline look like? Now tell me, how important are these getting ready photos to you? You could add or getting ready, you know, video work to you, or do you want us to stick around to the end? And and even that's a question that you might not know the answer to. It would be, hey, do you have any big plans for the send-off? Or do you, like, like how important is dancing video to you? Like, do you like, oh yeah, we just want a little bit, but we don't want a ton. Okay, great. Well, you know that you don't have to stick around until midnight or one in the morning because you only need to be around for maybe half an hour after the first dance because that's going to provide the B-roll footage that you need to make the video that they want. So, and, and, and from that, then you've bookended when you need to be there and when you're ready to go home. And, and that gives you the coverage. And then when you're explaining back to them, in your proposal, right, when you've given them your proposal later on in the consideration stage, you are now giving them information that they've told you and you can say, here's what you've told me. You've told me that you really want a lot of video work done when you're getting ready with your girlfriends. You've also told me that you want video work being done of the groom and his boys getting ready too. And at the same time, you want a lot of attention to the details that you've been working with your planner on and, and you want the story told about the details. And you don't really want a lot of video after the first dance. You want just a little sense of the party because you haven't put a lot of energy into the entertainment and you don't need that as part of the memory. So then your, your proposal back to them will be for say eight hours of coverage with three videographers because that's the time frame they need to be there. And you know that at three hours of core critical time when all of it's going to happen at once, you can't be in three different places with the groom and the bride and the details. So you have to bring three people in. That makes sense to people when they're considering your services. They're like, Oh, I told them my needs and this is the solution of services to my needs. This makes sense. But if you don't form that connection for them, they won't get it. They won't get why you're offering eight hours or why you're offering three videographers. Okay. That's, that's great. 
That makes a lot of sense. So, okay, so when it comes to, so consideration is the inquiry. That's that's when they actually email you and inquire. That's okay. what, yeah, that's when they, that's basically from, I mean, there's some work on the website. It depends on what you're selling, but there's definitely some work on the website. <coughs> there's the inquiry, and then it goes all the way through to the proposal. When you send them the proposal. Um, to be clear, I'll, I'll just kind of give a quick summary uh, of these major stages what does the sales process look like? So when I'm selling weddings, I have on my website all of the information that they need about um, about the services that I offer, uh, not the products, but the services, like the benefits that they get with working with me. Um, so things like uh, uh, you get you know high quality images, you get HD uh, you know quality images, you get uh, or 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 film, you get. Um, uh, you know, could be uh, background footage. You get uh, you get a, a, a thirty second video for Instagram. You get a three minute video for same day edit, and you get a ten minute full length video. Or you know, you offer the different levels that you have there. Um, you would put in there the things that you do. You work with them to help develop what kind of story they want told throughout the day. You know, wh whatever it may be, you put the services that you offer. And then you talk about who you are and what your company does and how you work and clients that you've worked with. Why, why are you different than other people who are doing video? And, and, you, and, and that's part of the consideration stage, right? Then they inquire and you immediately try and get them on the phone. That's all you're trying to do is get them on the phone. And then on the phone, you form a connection, you build trust, you uncover their needs, you find out who they are as a buyer. And then you send them a proposal. Now, the proposal is going to be detailed. It's going to have eight key components in it. And you're going to tell them what they need to know and why it's important to them. And then you're going to have a follow-up call with them. And on that follow-up call, that's when you're going to address their concerns and you're going to answer their questions and you're going to make an ask for them to buy your services from you. And eventually then you will send over a contract and a deposit form or, you know, an, an invoice where they can pay you and then you'll close the deal. So it, that's how you do it in that order. And so the, the consideration stage then is basically, you know, website really, uh, but a lot of that's going to be inquiry to proposal and 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 the discovery meeting that happens in between okay so you're saying that awareness is from inquiry to sending the first proposal no awareness would be they uh from they haven't they haven't reached out to you it's all the stuff ah, okay. that they've done, all the stuff that they've done uh you know social media gotcha. word of mouth um pinterest blog posts, you know, to like to get into your website. Okay. And then once they're on your website, then then that's kind of, that's really when the consideration stage is going to begin. It's kind of like your store, right? And and your, you know, your visuals are your merchandising and your copy is your salesperson. That's cool. Okay. So now how do you get from um, from proposal to the actual decision? The 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 one that people are really interested in. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you can well, so and here's the deal is that, um, you know, it's interesting is that I actually started off doing work on pricing. I was like, I, I, you know, I've priced, you know, 
a lot of a lot of services. Uh, you know, in addition to doing the work that I did in weddings and 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 from a venue catering, planning, decor, design perspective, I also priced hotel rooms as a lodging director. I was a lodging director for the resort that I worked at for eight years, and we we sold ten thousand room nights a year uh, for about three million dollars in sales, and so there's been over twenty million dollars in room nights with you know 70 80,000 room nights involved. So I've I've set a lot of prices and I've done a lot of work with that. So I thought I'm going to do pricing. And and what I found in the last 3 years is that everybody wants to know about like how do I how do I raise my prices, right? And everybody out there, all the other consultants and coaches and mentors are like raise your prices, double your prices, charge more, people will pay it. But they're not upping their sales game to build value enough to keep up with how much they want to raise their rates. And so what I've done is I've gone backwards from pricing being the thing that everybody wants to know about. And I've, I've gone backwards into the sales experience and I'm even going backwards further into, into the website is really what I'm finding is that um, generating leads and quality leads is really important. And most people aren't doing a very good job at it on their website with the, with the, the layout, with the site map, the design of their website. And, and especially with the copy. And so, um, so, so that's just, I think it's important to recognize that, um, yes, everybody wants to know how to close the piece of business. I can assure you that closing a piece of business is much more likely if you have best practices on your website, if you can get them on the phone and have a great discovery meeting and present a comprehensive, customized proposal that really pulls on the buying triggers. If you can do those things, then it's much easier to book. Like when I sold weddings, the the follow-up was usually either an email or a five to 10 minute phone call. And that was it because I had done all of the work beforehand when it mattered the most. And that's that's where it's really great if you if you take this approach that I've that you and I have been talking about, and then I I put this method that I put up on my website and I talk about in conferences and workshops is that if you do this good work in the beginning, then it's easy at the end. And I always talk about dump the dump the mentality of really focusing on how to follow up with the people towards the end of the buying journey and instead focus on following through on what you've already set out and you've already scheduled. So, so what does that look like in practice? So while you're on the phone with them, before you have hung up, before you have sent them over a proposal, you get a follow-up phone call on the books. And you pre-schedule this booking meeting for a few days after they're gonna get the proposal so that you can have a chance to talk with them about the proposal. This is like if you if this is all you took away from this conversation, you will increase your conversion rates hugely because what you're doing is you're playing on a bunch of different psychological principles on why people will say yes while you're on the phone with them and why they likely won't cancel after they've made a commitment and a promise to you. So this is a really big thing. 
you, you it's really easy it goes something like this paul has been great so so great to talk with you thanks so much for sharing so much information i'm super excited about your event it sounds amazing i hope that i get a chance to be a part of it I think that I've got a pretty good understanding of what's important to you and some of the challenges you've run into and your planning of the videography services. Uh, would you like to see a proposal from me? You say, yes, of course, I'd love to see a proposal. I say, great, when are you looking at making a decision? And you say, you know, my, my fiance and I are gonna talk it over and then we're gonna talk with our parents. We're hoping sometime in the next week or two. And so you say, great, what if I sent the proposal to you by the end of this week, today's Monday, you're pro like, I'm guessing you're not going to look at it until the weekend. Oh yeah. We're not gonna look at it until the weekend. We're like, we're so busy with stuff and I'm trying to get a promotion and my wife, my future wife has a, a big project she's doing at work. Send it over anytime. Okay, cool. I'll send it over by Thursday or Friday. I imagine you're looking at it over the weekend. What if you and I had a chance to talk about it on Monday or Tuesday after you've looked at it to answer your questions before you make a decision so that you know everything you need about what I'm offering and you have a chance to ask any questions in, in case I didn't get it right in the proposal. Would it be okay if we had a quick 10 minute phone call on Monday or Tuesday, what time works best for you? And that's it. They'll be like, uh, you know, I'm kind of free in the morning or like, <laughs> why don't we do after work or whatever it is, right? Like they'll, they will tell you when they're ready. And then at the end you say, great, so looking forward to it. I'm going to send you a proposal by Friday end of day. You're going to look at it over the weekend. We're going to talk on Tuesday at 10 o'clock, just 10 minutes. If you have any questions in the meantime, let me know. I'll send an email recap after we get off the phone so that you have that because I'm sure that you've got 10 other videographers that you're talking to just like me. And then you send the email recap and you say, thanks for sharing. I appreciate the information you provided. Here are the important things. Here are the concerns that you have. I'm going to send you a proposal by this date. You and I are going to get on the phone on this date and time. Is there anything I missed? Question mark, right? And then you send the proposal. And in the bottom of the proposal, you say, I'm looking forward to talking with you more about this on Tuesday at 10 o'clock. Let me know if you have any questions in the meantime, or if you're ready to book, save ourselves some time. Uh, you, uh, let me know and we can go from there. So that's, that's, that is a huge part of achieving success. That's amazing. You already sold me. <laughs> I'm, I'm already booking you on Monday. <laughs> yeah, well, in many ways, right? In many yeah. ways. And so, and so that's the thing. So like this idea of follow-ups where I send out my, my PDF and I'm like, I wonder what's going on. If instead you just set an appointment and follow through with the conversation that you've already set up, then you're going to be in much better shape. My experience is that everybody's like, Oh, this sounds awesome, but I don't, I don't like that's too pushy for me. So I, I work with people who have never done this. And within a month or two, they're typically getting eight or nine out of 10 of their clients to, or their, you know, potential clients to, to commit to the, the pre-scheduled booking meeting out of those 90% of them are going to keep the appointment. So it's, it's the best thing you can do to up your chances of, of converting uh, an inquiry and a proposal into, into a client. So that's the number one thing that you can do in the decision-making stage is give yourself a chance to have that conversation with them, to hear out their concerns, to demonstrate empathy for the position that they have, be willing to collaborate on making 
the, the, the purchase happen through some flexibility, either in terms and conditions or in services offered or in, in pricing. Just know that this, if you can turn it into a collaboration, then you're much more likely to succeed than if you just say, this is, this is what I offer, take it or leave it. I am speechless. That is, I've, <laughs> I've been doing this for a while. I've never thought of that. That is such a great idea. I went now I don't want now I feel like I don't want to share this episode to anyone because <laughs> <laughs> Oh man that alone so, is oh wow it, oh, it is it, it it it's a real game changer uh it's you know it's right up there with getting people on the phone uh with with learning about buyer types which we haven't really talked about much I have a uh I have a, a freemium that I that I've got available on buyer types that goes into it but that's another game changer uh, getting people on the phone uh, after you sent the proposal with this pre-scheduled booking meeting—that's a—that's another game changer. There's those. Those are really three big things that if you can do in the buyer's journey better than other people or do them at all because most other people aren't, you're going to find a lot of success. And again, this is how you build value. If you want to drive your prices higher. You have to build value. And at some point, you can't keep offering more stuff for people, more time or more videographers or you know, more, more minutes of, uh, of, of footage or seconds of footage. or you know, There's only so much you can cram in the same day edits, right? There's, there's only so much you can do with your, with your work. And so you have to provide not a luxury product, but a luxury experience and it begins the moment that they land on your website. And when you provide that luxury experience, being a state of mind, then you're going to see people have no problem paying more money because what they're experiencing now is so incredible, especially compared to the comp set, that they're, they're only going to get more, they feel, as the time goes along when they become your client. I think that's the one thing that I'm starting to preach now is for wedding people, wedding businesses to see their business as a luxury. Like people don't have to hire a videographer for their wedding. They don't have to have a big party at, for their wedding. You just get married. That's it, right? So anything past that is luxury. So I feel like people need to look at their product as a luxury because that's actually, it's a service. Like you, you have to just like what you said, build value, but, you know, charge in the right, the, the right rate to keep your business sustainable. How do you feel about that? Like treating it as a luxury? Oh, a hundred percent. Absolutely. Here's the, I was talking with somebody who emailed me after reading one of my blog posts and she's like, Sam, I'm having such a problem. She works for a big hotel chain and she's selling as a senior catering sales manager. And, um, and she's like, I'm really having a hard time going through and providing the value and, and distinction against my, my comp set. And I said, pretend like you don't sell a venue. Pretend like you don't sell a ballroom with a floor, a ceiling, and four walls. Instead, just sell an experience of what it's like to work with you and your team and your brand and what you're going to create for them along the way on the wedding day and also their their family and friends and loved ones at the event itself. Because you're not selling a space or, or a ballroom or food or beverage. What you're selling is the opportunity to create memories. 
And so how are you going to sell that? A great memory working with you, a great memory on the wedding date, and a great memory for their friends and families and loved ones on the wedding date. That's what you're selling. So it get luxury as a state of mind into your head and get the fact that you're selling a product or a thing out of your head because that's not really what you're selling. You're selling a way that people want to feel. And, and that's done that's done entirely differently than saying, here are my packages and here are the features, take it or leave it. You've got to create that for them at every opportunity. Did all these things that you're saying is just, it's, it's funny because, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. I've been reading books and I, these are all new things to me. And I don't know if I, sometimes I unconsciously, I'm like nodding my head or shaking my head. I, I don't even know what to do with my head anymore <laughs> because it's just really, really good information. I really, really appreciate that. Yeah, you're, you're welcome. And I think that, I, I think that there, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on, right? We've got, you and I've gone through a ton. Um, what I, what I would recommend for people is to really just start shifting your mindset. And, and that's the first thing is that if, if we, if we can back away that we're selling a product that we create, like it's, I love that everybody in the creative world is creative. That's great, but I'm sorry, that's not enough. What, you know, every photographer, you know, every photographer focuses on the photography, but that's, that's not it. It's, it's the photographer experience. You know, it's not wedding planning, it's the wedding planner. It's not floral design, it's the it's the floral designer, right? It's this experience that people want, not just the destination, but the journey. And so I think just, just start with that. Start wrapping your head around the fact that as soon as they land on your website, the that's when the client experience begins. And people want an incredible experience, and so you've got to provide it for them along the way. It's not enough to provide a great video at their wedding or a great photo album when they're done or beautiful floral arrangement or, um, you know, a seamless event day. What you've got to do is you've got to go all the way back and you've got to start from the moment they land on your website to the inquiry, to the conversation, to the proposal, to the booking meeting, to sending in their contract and deposit. All the stuff that happens there, that's got to be incredible. It's got to be exceptional because if it's not, they won't believe that this is going to be exceptional either. I love that you talked about this, the buyer's journey, because not everyone knows about this. And I feel like as people who market and as people who sell, you really, really have to understand what the buyer's journey is. Because just like what you said, you're you're going to guide them through through the stages, right? So I, I guess my last question, probably not the last one, but... I don't know if I might have additional, but okay. So we're talking about awareness, consideration, and decision, right? Now, and we've also been talking a lot about website, but I feel like social media by itself is like a totally different new wing of awareness that automatically it goes to awareness, right? But it's been in existence for so long that there's just so much noise out there that being existing on social media alone doesn't really help anymore. Do you, do you, so my question is, do you think that being on social media, particularly Instagram, let's just say Instagram is being on Instagram right now, 
do you have to consider it as like an awareness stage for your clients or should you move it to um to consideration which is your from your website to the proposal how do you feel about that i prefer to be in in probably two different places one uh, actually probably three the first is awareness right it's a uh, you know the goal of all marketing is to generate leads to your inbox and and everything that happens for social media the goal is to get to your website right that's really what you want them to do you want to grab their attention and then they click your you know your profile link and it should take you somewhere to your website so that then you can start doing what you need to do there referrals same deal you're going to get referrals from planners or venues or friends it's going to go to the website like everything goes to the website so that's that is the first uh, and probably most important part uh, in the early stages for for social media I think second area that social media is super important is in the decision-making stage. And in the decision-making stage, the most important criteria for movement forward to take action and actually uh, book a, a wedding vendor is to feel reassured that they're going to do a great job. And so the more you can let them in with transparency to your process, into who you are as a trustworthy individual, the more they can trust you and, and, and how you deliver the services, the more likely they are to feel comfortable and confident in booking you. And so this is where Instagram stories is a really great way to stay connected with people because it allows them to look in on who you are, how you work with your clients, how you create events. It's more of that how. And the more that they know, the more comfortable they'll feel with going with who you are as a person or, or your brand, uh, your company as a brand. The third area, I think, is how they feel engaged with you through the customer experience when they're actually a client, when they're done with the booking stage and they've actually made a decision and now they're part of that customer journey, not the buyer's journey, but the customer journey. It's a great way for, for them and for their friends and family to stay connected with what's going on with you as a brand. And that's really important because I think a lot of people forget that just, when, just because you book somebody doesn't mean that you're done with them until the wedding day. In fact, that's your best opportunity to get referrals from that person. They're incredibly excited that they have finally, after being overwhelmed with options and, and, and consumed by the feeling of risk when it came to choosing their videographer or photographer or planner or whatever it may be, they finally feel so good that they decided to go with you. And now every single person who's in their world is like, hey, how's the wedding planning going? And they're like, oh my gosh, it's so amazing. You would not believe what my videographer just did. He sent me over X or they are so on top of it. I can't believe it. I had no idea what to expect and they have guided me along every step of the way. Or they just sent me a Christmas gift. Who does that? Or it's Valentine's Day and they sent me this really great thing like showcasing how important, you know, that moment is that we are still in love on our wedding day and that they made a little request and here's a here's a little prompt that they gave us for when we meet or whatever it is, right? So this is an opportunity for you to create a heightened customer experience, these surprises and delights. And it's a great way to do that on Instagram so that they can now share them with their family and friends and, and you can connect with them along the way as, as they're engaged with you and you're engaged with them. It helps to create that referral opportunity for the people who are in their world. 
I love surprises and delights. That's so good. Okay. That's a really good point. Social media by itself doesn't just have to be awareness anymore. I love that there's like a lot of uses for it. And just like what we do unconsciously. So when I post on stories, like we were with a couple or we're eating during the reception, I post photos of us just so unconsciously the couple see that what we look like when we're working. Because I've been getting a lot of compliments for, from inquiries like oh we love we we actually saw that you guys were wearing suits when you're shooting and that really means a lot to us because we've seen other videographers who are just wearing a shirt and sneakers and you know if we pay them five thousand dollars they kind of got to look the part so <laughs> so that's a and thing. that's and that's and that's great that you're doing that and what you're doing there is you're so so kind of break that down is that you are um, you are doing what's called positioning against your comp set. You're putting out there, hey, it could be done anyway, but we choose to do it this way because we value the uh, the the look and feel of your wedding, and we want to match with that, not stand out from it. And that's that's a message that you're saying. You have worked hard to come up with a look and feel for your event. You've asked your guests to show up in a certain attire. We want to make sure we show up in that same attire as well. Because that says we are listening to what your wants are and we're going to do what you need us to do to fit in with your event. We're not doing it our way. We're not divas, right? That also tells wedding planners that you're willing to follow rather than lead, that you're a team player, that you get that there's a uniform, that, that all those things are important. And so like in a nutshell, that's what that shows. And it's things like that that you want to put out there, not just anything. You want to put out there things that will position you against your comp set in a way that other people aren't doing. That's that's perfect. I'm glad I'm doing the right thing. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm sure you're doing a lot. And I think I think generally, like when it comes to social media, just like, it is not a billboard, right? The goal is not to put up uh, posts and and get a bunch of likes. The goal is to be able to take out of a hundred people that are aware of you or following you or whatever, you're really only gonna get two or three they're gonna be serious about buying what it is that you're selling. And so your job is to short, sort through all the other crap and find a way to connect with those two to three people in the way that's gonna be most meaningful. You do not care about 95, 98% of the people out there. They'll either come along or they won't, but the people who are ready to go, you wanna make sure that you're doing things to draw them in. Okay. So my last question, I just thought of a last question that's really, good. really going to be good. Yeah. One more bonus question. <laughs> <laughs> so there, I'm going to direct them to your site, right? It's going to be in the show notes for more information about you. Yeah. But because I've gone through your site and there's so many amazing information that I just want to implement them all immediately, <laughs> right? Yes. B but most of us, especially the solopreneurs or the husband and wife teams, just doing all of these can be overwhelming because we're, we're not only, you know, we're not, we're not just like shooters and meeting with the couples. We're the accountants. We run to the bank and you take care of the kids. So what advice can you give people, the wedding business people, on not to get overwhelmed with like these things that they've learned today? What's like the best thing that they, you think we, they should do? Yeah. 
Well, I think that one of the most important things is to focus on things that are already working really well and, and, and do more of those. So that's one thing. Uh, find out what's actually working in, in your business and figure out another way to apply that to a different area of your business. So that's, that's a huge thing to do. I think another thing to do is to focus on things that we know work really well. We know that getting people on the phone is a great way to connect. So we know that that's something that's important. We know also that creating a custom proposal is really important. And that's really the first time that you want to put detailed pricing out there. So uh, working on a great proposal, super important. And then we also know that booking that follow-up call before the client or the, the buyer sees the proposal, that's another big thing that you can do. If you focus really on those three things out of all of it, that's going to give you the most bang for the buck. I would not obsess about pricing. That's not going to give you the type of results ultimately that you want. It's the things that need to be done to justify that price, to build that value in the mind of the buyer. So focus less on the result, which is a high price, and more on the process that you take to get there, which is create an extraordinary sales experience for the buyer on their journey. That's beautiful. I think if you, if you want more information, um, you know, the, the, the information's there on my website, uh, idactionconsulting.com. Um, I offer a ton of free advice. Like you said, there's a bunch of it out there. My wife, who uh, has actually more sales experience than I do in the wedding world, and uh, is, is a, a collaborator with me on this. She always jokes that I give away too much information for free, uh, but you all are the recipients of that, so congratulations. Uh, you can go onto my website. The blog has a bunch of information there. If you want to see it delivered to your inbox, you can just uh, hit up idactionconsulting.com slash free advice, and you can sign up for the newsletter. All good content for free, no spam, no sales work in there. It's just good content for you. Uh, follow me on Instagram at ID Action Consulting. I offer five posts a week. There's always business advice in it. I do a live morning show uh, with my wife and we talk about sales and productivity and, and marketing. And that's usually on for, at six o'clock in the morning Pacific time. We get up pretty early and we run that for about 10 to 20 minutes uh, each morning. And of course, I have other stuff that you can do that does cost money. Uh, it's all of great value. And I have uh, lots of different options from entry level $50 a month to one-on-one -on -one immersive uh, long-term uh, mentoring and coaching relationships and a lot of stuff in between. My gosh, I cannot wait for people to go to your site. And uh, guys, I just want to make sure that you understand why Sam is one of the I really, really pushed for Sam because, well, number one, because people were act actually asking for him. But then after subscribing and, you know, following you on Instagram, I, the, the value that you bring, I'm just so grateful that we finally did this interview. And I'm glad that this is one of the last interviews for season one because, you know, I was hoping to save the best for last and I, I'm pretty sure I did. So I, I'm really, really thankful and you're the best. It's thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on. I hope that the information was useful. And uh, you know, if you have any, if anybody has any questions, always feel free to reach me out to me. Uh, 
you know, DM or, or email, I'm, I'm available. I, I love helping business owners is why I'm in this business. And uh, I, I want to make sure that if you've got a question that you need answered, please just let me know. I'm, I'm, I'm always around. That, that's my that's my wife. <laughs> She's the money maker. So, OK, yeah, yeah. yeah um, hopefully we get you to I get to interview you on season two. And I, I love that. Thank you so much. I really appreciate yeah. it. All the best to you, welcome. Sam. Yeah, you too. There you have it. I hope this was helpful. The best thing about this is that you can always play it back. I always love hearing people about what they thought about an episode. So please feel free to DM me or email if you have any questions. Just go to the show notes for the links. Show your support by helping me reach more people by sharing this podcast or tell a friend about it. I'd also love it if you rate and review. I love reading reviews. Season 1 is about to end, so watch out for the upcoming workshop and goodies I have in store, so make sure you join the Facebook group. Next episode is going to be another hit, so don't forget to subscribe, and I'll see you on the next Wedding Video Boss podcast. Till then, play nice if you can't win. Be nice, especially if you're good-looking. Boss man out! nice if you can't win be nice especially if you're good looking boss man out